1: Sometimes sometimes the hardest people to reach are, are even in our own family. You know, it's it's you know the, the scripture a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Sometimes the people in our world in our circle and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 I know you you do that Jesus thing. That's fine for you, but but not for me. Like pedal your wear somewhere else." You know, does anybody have, don't, don't raise your hand if you have somebody that like But uh, but it's true. There's there's such a divide in our families. And uh, my family, there's, there's, we're across the map, literally and physically. I have my parents in Kentucky, sisters in North Carolina and Kansas, and uh, uncles in Florida and D.C. and Boston and Arizona and Northern California. We're literally all over the United States, except for Alaska and Hawaii that I know of. But we're spread out. And we're spread out across the, the spectrum, religiously, philosophically, you know, like mentally. (Laughter) uh, <laughs> Politically, for sure, for sure. There's a lot of diversity in my family. But, but historically, it's actually been relatively easy considering all of that for us to come together. We always, we always find a way to, to put aside our differences and, and just don't talk about certain things and, uh, and come together and enjoy time over the holidays or enjoy reunions. And I love that my family can do that, that we can come together and, um, and spend that quality time together and not let our divides separate us. And that's a challenging thing to do, to not let your divides separate you. It's been especially challenging over the last few years though, uh, 2020 was the great shakeup, and, and everything that could be shaken was shaken, a- including those, those family personalities, those tensions. Maybe some of you have experienced just over the last few years, it's been more difficult, more, more challenging to come together. Some people were, were just very afraid of COVID, afraid of the flu, but Stan just proved that we don't have to be afraid of the flu anymore, so check that one off. Not an issue, just uh, if, if any of your family members have problems with that, just have him come talk to Stan. He'll set him, set him straight. <laughs> but it has been challenging, and, uh, and it seems like there's always those, those people in our family that we, we disagree with so much that it's like, it's like oil and water. There's just, there's just no coming together. And to be honest, we shouldn't be surprised, because Jesus actually came to bring division. It might surprise some of you, so I'll prove it to you. In Luke 12, 49 to 52, Jesus says, verse 49, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. Wow. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor And three, against. Very, very powerful language from Jesus himself. But he came on a mission. He came on a purpose. He came with assignment. His assignment was to bring truth into the world, to restore the world to its rightful state, or at least provide the potential for the world to be restored. You see, when Adam sinned, there was a separation from man and God. There was a separation that that caused division. There was a separation that caused mankind to fall into all manner of sin. And so when Jesus came back to to bring restoration, it would be natural that, that some people would be opposed to that, people that were under the burden or under the curse, and some people who would accept the freedom that Jesus was offering. That's really what we're doing. That's really what evangelism is about. It's about giving people an opportunity to accept the freedom that Jesus is offering, that you don't have to be under a curse. You don't have to be under burden anymore. You don't have to be under oppression. You can live free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But in this world, there is still division, and there will still be division until Jesus comes back. And it's not just in our families, our, our nation our nation is very divided right now, uh, along many of the same lines that families are divided, religious, political, social, red versus blue. When you think about the United States, there's, there's actually not really a whole lot that unites us. As a people, we're, we're not really very united about anything. We're kind of like oil and water. It's the title of this message, Oil and Water. Our founding fathers kind of predicted that this might happen, so they actually were, had very good insight, divine insight, supernatural wisdom, to, to set up a system of government that allowed for differences. It, it allowed for, for people to have differing opinions, but the government would still go on. The, the government would still continue. I got a, a, a kind of a cool confirmation about that just driving here today. Where's beautiful Lisa? Is she here? Where's Lisa at? She's back there. Beautiful, Lisa, I was, I was driving behind you on the way to church today, and I love your bumper sticker. It says, I heart the Constitution. Stand up, Lisa. You're amazing. <laughs> I heart the Constitution, too. I love that you put that on your car. And it's so true. The Constitution of the United States is such a powerful document, and, and it's, it's that framework that was established by the people for the people that allows us to continue in that. And I thank God we have amazing people like Lisa who stand up for the Constitution, believe it, put bumper stickers on their card to help other people believe in it too, and giving their pastors confirmation. Well done. The system of government is a, is a constitutional republic, which means that, that just the, the, the wave of popular opinion doesn't, doesn't sway what the document says or what's defined in, in how our system of government runs. It's not, it's not mob rule that can just take over whenever, whenever it wants. It's stabilized by this binding document. It's stabilized by the branches of government, the system of checks and balances. It provides stability and stability. You would think that, that even, uh, even something as, as powerful as, as national unity or, or national pride would, would be enough to bring people together, but, but not even the flag of the United States in these days is able to, to fully unite everyone. There's people who trample on the flag, there's people who disgrace the flag, burn the flag, but the flag is actually one of the, the best symbols of unity that I can think of. The red in the flag symbolizes valor and bravery, the blue Vigilance, perseverance, and justice. But there's something very powerful about the third color in the flag, white. Nearly 50% of the flag is white. The stars are mixed in with the blue field, The, the white stripes are mixed in with the red stripes. So half of the flag is white, and white is the symbol of purity and innocence. It's actually purity and innocence that can bind our country together. It's purity and innocence that allows us to see eye to eye people who we we disagree with on so many other topics. If we can come to that place of purity and innocence, then we can truly be united. It's from a place of purity and innocence that we as Christians need to operate. We need to operate not out of of our ulterior motives, not out of spite, not out of uh, bitterness, but when we get back to the basics, when we get back to what we were founded on, when we get back to what we as Christians should believe, purity and innocence, that's a place that we can move forward from. Our, our common morality, the purity and innocence, must be the basis of our unity. Christians were called to live in that vein. We can exhibit Valerie and bravery and diligence and justice and perseverance, but all of that has to be mixed and and intermingled with purity and innocence. 50% of our flag is based on purity and innocence. So how do we bring that into practice today when even our flag gets desecrated, when, when so many people across this nation, and it's, it's not all, they're not even all U.S. citizens. There's many people in our nation who are not U.S. citizens, but we can actually find common ground with them as well. We can find a way to mix oil and water. How do we do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's why I'm here tonight. But I want to tell you a story from Luke chapter 7. Anybody bring your Bible tonight? Come on, it's good to have your Bible. If you got your Bible and you're sitting next to somebody who has a Bible, then give them a Bible high five. If you want to do it with your phones too, that's fine. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that, Simon answered? I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a powerful story. Two, two examples in this story, oil and water. The oil that was, that was poured, the perfume that was poured on, on Jesus' feet, the, the water from the tears of this woman that, that washed the dirt off Jesus' feet, and she dried them with her hair. Oil and water, different qualities, but they're not opposites. And I, I want to propose to you tonight that, that these two substances are actually complementary agents. They can be used to work together. They may, not, they may not come together naturally, but they can be used to work together. They serve purposes that support each other. Water, starting with water, water is for washing and cleansing. In the literal sense, in this story, washing the, the feet of Jesus to remove dirt, to sanctify, priests would have to wash themselves, cleanse themselves before they would bring an offering or a sacrifice into the tent. In the figurative sense, water is used in baptism for the repentance of sin. In Ephesians 5:25, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So we, we, we find in the scripture that the, the word is like water and we can use it to wash, we can use it to cleanse. When you go into your family, when you go into your community, you can use the, the water of the word to wash, to cleanse, to set free. In this story, Simon the Pharisee, he was forgiven little and he loved little, and he neglected the courtesies of providing oil or water to wash or to cleanse. This woman, she was forgiven much, and she loved much, and she provided these courtesies to Jesus. Jesus was the receiver of these courtesies, but he was also the dispenser of forgiveness. The dispenser of forgiveness. So who's the forgiver? Jesus. Who is the washer? This woman that gave what she had, an expensive, rare perfume. She gave her tears to wash the feet of Jesus. But it doesn't always work that way. You see, Jesus is also the washer. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples right after this encounter. In John 3, 16, 6-17, it says, When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands, my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for for doing them. See, Jesus Jesus came to bring division on the earth. He came to, to separate the sheep from the goats. He came to separate light from darkness. Jesus brought division so that we don't have to. We don't have to be the ones going out and bringing division. Jesus is the divider. We can go out and we can bring the restoration. We can be the ones to wash the feet of other people. Even when they spitefully abuse us, even when they don't forgive us, even when they don't show us courtesy, we can show courtesy to them. We can provide oil and water to those who have used or abused us, and we can be like Jesus when we do this. The devil tries to divide. He tries to bring corruption. The world will hate us because we are, we are not of the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. When we're born again, we're a new creation. We, we live in Christ, and he lives in us. And so we, we can go out and we can operate in the world, but we're not taking on the culture or the nature of the world again. We don't have to, to put on the old mantle, the old, old cloak anymore. We can actually put on the armor of God. One of the pieces of the armor of God are the sandals that go on your feet. Ephesians 6.15, for, or for shoes, put on the readiness to preach the good news of peace with God. The readiness to preach the good news of peace With God. When we when we go out, our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. We can go out with a message of hope, a message of peace, a message of restoration, a message that that brings people out of death into life. We can go out and we can water with what we've been watered with. We can be cleansed with the word of God and we can use the word of God to cleanse other people. One of my family reunions before 2020. We all came together, and um, and it was it was a great time. We have fun, fellowship, play games, do all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, and there was a a time when when uh, everybody was sitting around at night, and we kind of had this healthy debate about different things. And uh, and there was no animosity, there was no you know anger or shouting or back and forth. It was just healthy debate, debate, peaceful. And I kind of stayed quiet about the. The, the topics, because I, didn't really, I hadn't really done research into them and didn't really feel like it was necessary to put my opinion out there, and I just kind of let everybody else do the talk and, and have the debate. And, and at the end, it came down to just me and my uncle sit, sitting there, and I had never really been able to connect with him on a, on a deep level. He had been, uh, he had been wounded by, by somebody in the church when he was very young, and he had kind of rejected God. He had rejected religion. He was, uh, he was far from God. And I know that other people in my family had tried to minister to him, tried to talk to him and, and help, him, help him see the light. But, um, but in this moment, I was given an opportunity not to, not to try and convince him of anything, but just to, to share my heart, to share how I felt about the word, to share the revelations that God had shown me, to share the peace that passes understanding and that's in my life. And I was able to, to speak with him and, and have a connection with him on a level that I never had before. But I think a big part of the reason why I had that opportunity is because I chose not to engage in fruitless debates. I chose not to pick up arguments where there was no possible way anybody could win. Anybody ever tried to win an argument on Facebook? (laughs) Impossible. Some things might be impossible. (laughs) There's certain times when you have to know when to not say anything. There are certain times when you have to, to read the situation, you have to feel the atmosphere, the environment, and just decide, you know, I could jump into this debate, I could, I could put something in there, but what, what will it produce? Will it actually produce good fruit? Will it actually cause an effect that's going to bring people together? Or is it just one more opinion thrown onto the fire? One more one more reason why people might, might reject you, or more importantly, one more reason why people might reject the message that you're really called to bring. What is the real reason why you're coming together? What is the real purpose that you have? Do you have a desire to see your family set free? Do you have a desire to see your family restored? Then maybe let the little arguments go. Maybe take this season, maybe take Thanksgiving, maybe take Christmas this time to choose the right discussion, to choose to pick the right debate. The first conclusion that I come to with water is that washing with water is a symbol of forgiveness. Washing with water cleanses us. When we're baptized, it's for the remission of sins. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he told Peter, you have to let me do this or else you have no part in me. Unless you receive the forgiveness that I'm offering, then then you can't administer the forgiveness that I want you to spread throughout the world. Peter, Peter was one of the greatest evangelists to the Jews, in, in all of the apostles, all of the disciples. And he did that because he was able to allow Jesus to wash his feet and remove that bitterness, remove the, the blockages, remove anything that would separate him from the ability to, to reach those that he was called to, to reach those lost sheep in the kingdom. The next substance, oil. Oil is is for anointing. Moses anointed Aaron for the priesthood. Samuel anointed David as king. Long before David ever took the throne, he was anointed. The oil was, the oil was placed on his head. In this story, Jesus' feet were anointed. In different accounts in the Gospel, it says that he was anointed for burial. That what this woman did was a preparation for him. And oil is used in preparation. Oil is also used in healing. Who was here on Sunday? Pastor Leanne had an incredible message about the Good Samaritan. The good Samaritan poured oil onto this, this injured Jew, a man where they had differences of opinion. They were like oil and water. They, they were from separate cultures. You know, they, they wouldn't normally associate with each other, but there was a common ground. There was a, there's a humanity that brought them together. And the Samaritan poured the oil onto his wounds to bring restoration. Oil prevents infection. My, my youngest son, Noah, his, his favorite thing to do now when he gets a, a boo-boo or an owie or a scratch, Lisa, Lisa has given him this little, this little bottle of uh, infused oil. And so it's got the little rollerball on it. So whenever he cuts his finger or does anything, he just he rolls the oil on it. And then somehow he's better. <laughs> Whatever's in there is magic sauce. And it just works every time. He, gets, uh, he t- gets excited. But I think you know what happens is that he actually believes in the process of healing. When, when you have that oil, when you put it on, somehow his spirit says, this is gonna make me better. When I put the oil on, then my hurts go away. For centuries, for millennia, oil has been used to bring healing. Can it help us believe in the healing process for our families, for our relationships? When we pour oil on the feet of those who, who are lost, who are broken, who are hurting, even if we have, and especially if we have those big differences of opinion, how much more powerful is the oil when we pour on those who are opposed to us, who don't see eye to eye with us? Oil is for something else as well. Hebrews 1.9, talking about Jesus, the prophet says, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Oil is a symbol of joy, it's a symbol of gladness. When we reject evil, we enter into the oil of joy. Maybe this season we have to reject some things in our life that are, that are hurting us. Maybe you have to reject some things that are keeping us from experiencing gladness or joy. Conclusion number two, anointing with oil is symbolic of preparation, symbolic of healing, bringing relationships together, symbolic of joy. This is a powerful combination. Oil and water, with forgiveness and connection that the water brings, the cleansing, the washing away of sins, the preparation, the joy, the gladness that oil brings, the healing, the relationship. But how do we mix them together? Well, I'll show you. There's actually a really easy way to mix oil and water together. Anybody want to know what it is? A couple people want to know. Anybody want to know what it is? How do you mix oil and water? Add flour. Add flour. Very simple. You mix oil and water with flour. It's a binding agent. What, is it, what, what happens when you mix oil and water and flour? You make bread. It comes together. It brings substance. You can mix oil and water. It's very easy. Some of you have already done that today in preparation for tomorrow. You've mixed oil and water together to make bread for tomorrow. It, it, it's a very uh, opportune moment. We, um, beautiful Belinda, where is she at? She was out there... Uh, earlier, but uh, she went to uh, ECTLC, this amazing, uh, amazing organization we have to, uh, to help homeless people become not homeless anymore, and, uh, and she said, for Thanksgiving, what do you guys need? Do you guys need anything? And she, they said, well, actually, we could use 500 dinner rolls, and she's like, okay, so she came to Pastor Lisa, and we engaged the men and women's prayer team and said, hey, we need 500 dinner rolls, and so people from all over the church brought in dinner rolls so we can provide bread to the people in need. How do you mix oil and water? You use flour, you make bread. How do you reach your family? Bake them bread. How do you reach a community? Bake them bread. Give them bread. The answer to the question, the second thing I wanna share with you, mixing oil and water requires a binding agent. A binding agent. Flour is the binding agent that brings oil and water together to make bread. But you have to get your hands in there. You have to to knead it. You have to massage it. You have to, that the oil and water don't just mix naturally. And just adding the flour, dumping it on top won't make the bread. You actually have to to get in there and work at it. You have to put your hand to the plow. You have to to reach out to those in need. You have to to convince them to allow you sometimes, like Jesus did with Peter, to allow you to, to pour water on their feet. Some people just don't want it naturally. How bad do you need it? If you need it, then you got to need it. If you N-E-E-D it, then you got to K-N-E-A-D it. How badly do you need it? you got to work at it. The more strongly, the more powerfully you know that this person needs Jesus, then the harder sometimes you have to work at it. You have to hold them down and sit on them and pour that water on them, pour that oil on them. Say, you're taking this whether you like it or not. It's good for you. Lisa says, don't do that. Sometimes, sometimes, I'm just saying, a spoonful of sugar. How bad do you need it? Flour is the substance, the substance that receives the oil and water, it it receives the cleansing and the anointing. Flour is just like the white on our flag, the stars and the stripes, purity and innocence. It's how this nation was founded. It's how each of us was created, pure and innocent, in the image in the likeness of God. But we as Christians, the the binding agent, the common ground which unites us, the binding agents that brings us together, the binding agent that will allow us to mix oil and water out in our community, the thing that brings us together is faith. Faith is the substance. Faith is the substance of that which we hope for. Faith is like the flower. Faith will bring oil and water together. Faith allowed the the woman to pour out this perfume and her tears onto Jesus' feet. Faith is what will save your family. The Bible says that that God has dealt each one of us a measure of faith. Every single one of us has some flour on the inside of it, but you gotta pour out the oil and the water. You gotta be the vessel to, to, to turn that flour, to turn that faith into something of substance, to turn that faith into bread. You gotta find the common ground, but not the middle ground. The common ground, but not the middle ground. You cannot sacrifice your values You cannot sacrifice, you cannot change the word of God. You cannot distort the truth just to try to find a middle ground. There is no middle ground that will bring redemption. There's no middle ground that will save. There's only the truth that will save and set free. So you have to bring the truth. You have to stand on the truth. You cannot compromise with the word of God but you can find the common ground, the humanity, that measure of faith that God has put in every single one of us. If you dig enough, you can find it. If you pour out the water and the oil, it will latch onto that thing. It will latch onto the faith, it will latch onto that, that, that little bit, that small measure, the mustard seed of faith, that's enough. Jesus says the mustard seed of faith is enough. Every person that, that is in your family, every person that you encounter has a mustard seed of faith in them somewhere. You may have to to work through a lot of tough exterior. You may have to pour out a lot of water. You may have to wash a lot. You may have to scrub a lot. How bad do you need it? How bad do you want it? How bad do they need it? Each one of us needed it at one point. Each one of us needed water to be poured on us. And and even throughout our life, Jesus said, "If if you've taken a bath, then you're clean except the feet. You walk through life, every single one of us walks through life and our feet get dirty. So we need the water poured on us again and again and again. Husbands, wash your wives with the water of the word, cleansing her, sanctifying her. Wash the people in your life with the water of the word. Every person's foot gets dirty because they walk through life, they walk through a fallen world. So we all receive that, we all receive that cleansing. But you can't can't default to, to the middle ground 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and we're going to come to a close. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with unbelievers? You're not working with unbelievers. You're witnessing to them. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be a witness. Use words when necessary, but let your words really be an echo of your actions. Let your life demonstrate what a witness of Jesus Christ really looks like. And then you can talk to them about it. Then the door will be open. Night of Christmas is an excellent example of how we can bring substance to our community. We can can put on an excellent show that's of value. And we sing these carols, we sing these songs, and we, we bring the message of Jesus Christ. We can let our actions speak louder than our words can be difficult everybody has has that difficult person in their family or relationship and it's hard even to be hospitable towards them it's hard to find that common ground well if that's you just just remember this verse proverbs 25 21 if your enemies are hungry give them food to eat if they are thirsty give them water to drink you will heap burning coals of shame on their head and the lord will reward you (laughs) so even when you don't want to just pretend like you're, you're heaping burning coals of shame on their head as you're feeding them food and baking them bread and giving them water. There's always a silver lining. Who are you in this story? Are you like the woman that knows how much she's been forgiven, is weeping because of the, the relationship that Jesus has given you and your tears are, are washing the feet? and you're, you're giving of your best, you're giving of, of all you have. And, and in this story, this woman with this, this very expensive alabaster jar, it said that, that this jar or something like it was, was given to the daughters of Israel when they were born. And they would keep it all the way until their wedding day. And then they would break it open because it was sealed. It's one-time use. They would break it open. And then they would pour the fragrant oil all over the wedding bed. And that, that fragrance would, would fill the room. But this woman, whose sins were many, many, and a moral woman, she wouldn't have had an opportunity to use that oil, not, as a, not with a, a husband in a legitimate way. So she decided to use it, the most precious and most valuable thing she had. She decided to use it, break it open, and anoint the feet of her Savior. And Jesus said, whenever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be talked about, it will be remembered, her sacrifice. This woman, we know from other accounts, was actually Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who had that deep, devoted relationship with Jesus. Are you like Jesus in the story, where your your feet need to be washed, you need to be anointed, you need to be prepared for something? Do you need to forgive somebody who has wronged you? Forgive a family member? Maybe even if they're not providing these courtesies to you. Are you like Simon? Simon was actually a man who was healed of leprosy. He was restored, but he was also sitting in a place of judgment. He was judging this woman. He was forgiven little, and so he loved little. We know from other accounts in the Gospels that that Simon, his name was Simon Iscariot. He was actually the father of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. When Jesus came into the house, the, the woman greeted him with a kiss. The son of Simon greeted Jesus with a kiss as well, but it was a kiss of betrayal. The men at the table in the house, they were indignant because Jesus forgave sins. Are there people that sit at our table that that are indignant because we believe that our sins are forgiven? But can we still minister to those people? Jesus still provided a way for us to minister to them just like he's ministered to us. Who are we in this story? You will encounter all of these types of people in life and maybe even in your family. So what can you do to reach them, pour out water, pour out oil, work it in, massage it, allow it to find that that measure of faith that's in their life. Live as a witness. This last verse, 1 John 1 5, living in the light. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth but we are living in the light as God is in the light. Then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Why don't we stand to our feet as we come to a close. I wanna pray for you. If you know that you're coming into a season where you're gonna need to be able to pour out forgiveness on your family, Maybe, maybe you desire connection with, with certain people in your family or loved ones or even in your community that are far from you or far from God. Maybe you know that they need cleansing. Maybe they, they, you know that you need cleansing, reconciliation, restored relationships. Maybe you need the oil of joy, the, the gospel of peace poured over you. Maybe you just desire unity in some way. What is God preparing you for in this season? I wanna pray for you. But before we do that, there's one most important thing. If you've never confessed your sins to Jesus and received his forgiveness, that is the starting point. I'd love to pray with you if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, repented of your sins, received his forgiveness, that is the starting point. That is the place where, where you take that little mustard seed of faith in your life and you open up your heart, and you say, God, I need you right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, if you know you need Jesus, if you want me to include you in this prayer as I close, a prayer of forgiveness, the repentance of sins, a connection with your heavenly Father. If you wanna receive his love, receive that free gift, if that's you tonight, would you lift up your hand? I'd love to pray with you. God bless you, I see that hand. God bless you in the back. I see that hand, I see that hand, so proud of you. God bless you over there. Thank you so much. God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. See that hand. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, sir. In the back, I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you, sir. See that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there just one more? Who else am I waiting on? It's been a rustle. It's been, a, wrestle. It's been a, a struggle with you. Maybe, maybe your, your walk with God has had its ups and downs. Maybe there was some... Some people early in your life, maybe, maybe religion itself or a church that made it difficult for you. You felt condemned, you felt unworthy. But there's always been this, this tug that's been pulling you back. Who is that one? Maybe you need a, a restoration. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Why don't we do this, friends? Let's say this together. Just everybody repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior right now I repent of my sins I believe that God is my father heaven is my home and that I will live my life with him in eternity amen amen thank you so much if you prayed that prayer with me Right after the service, my friend over here, David, he'd love to give you a Bible and a book called Following Jesus. It'll help you walk out that new life with him. I'm gonna invite the ministry team down. Let me pray for you as we come to a close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the water that you've washed us clean with, the living water that that resides in our soul. God, I thank you every person here today that if they need that refreshing, if they need that cleansing, if they need that restoration in their life, tonight, we wash their feet. Maybe, maybe you need prayer over something specific. Come down and let the ministry team pray with you. God, I thank you right now for the washing of the feet. We walk through life. We get dirty. We need that cleansing. I thank you. We have the opportunity to receive the fresh water, the cleansing water, taking all the dirt, the grime, the dust of life away. Allow yourselves to be cleansed. Allow your feet to be washed. Have connection. Have partnership with Jesus. God, I thank you for the oil of heaven on our lives. Each one of us. That the oil will come together and it will will cleanse us, it will heal us. I thank you for the hurts that we've experienced. There's people here today, you've, you've experienced significant hurts. Allow the oil of heaven to come in tonight to heal up that wound. You don't have to be able to explain it, you just have to receive it. I receive healing. I receive that redemption. Maybe you know that you're called to go out and pour oil or pour water onto somebody's feet. Maybe over Thanksgiving, this season, God, I thank you for the courage and the strength to do the hard things, to pour out the oil, to pour out the water, to cleanse, to restore, to heal, to bring joy, to bring bring gladness, to have those conversations where, where you don't really say much, you're just with that person, loving them, available for them. Let your actions be a demonstration of the righteousness of Christ Jesus in you. God, I thank You for the opportunities that You've given us and You're giving us right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages